Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another Creative Floor podcast. It's Shahid here. Um, we have a really special uh, episode today because we welcome brand spanking new president of McCann Health, Jonathan Kukabason. You're right, Jonathan. Hi, right, Shahid. How you doing? Not too bad. Um, and thank you so much for the warm welcome. I'm really excited to be part of this podcast. So I just want to say a big thank you for reaching out uh, and giving me a chance to speak about, you know, the world, world of health communications. No, well, not at all. I, you know, interesting. I've just it's just popped into my mind that this is actually my very first podcast with no white people. It's fully brown. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think anyone who knows Asians, we probably between us got two very large families. So between us, I'm sure we'll set a world record on Apple Podcasts, nonetheless. <laughs> so, um, we don't really know each other that well, which is really fantastic because it's an opportunity for me to really get to to meet you properly um, under the guise of a podcast episode. Yeah, thanks for joining. Uh, you know, when I saw your new role about two, three weeks ago, I think it was now, wasn't it? You got it all became public of your new role as the new president. And it really stood out for me because I can't think of anyone from an ethnic minority background taking such a such a, the, the, the very top role, basically, of a large agency network. There were obviously loads of movements in 2020, lots of new new roles, lots of new leadership uh, positions, lots of movements within the industry. And to, again, to my memory, I, ca- I can't think of one of those um, leadership roles going to anyone who wasn't white. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way, but obviously diversity has been a massive uh, conversation over the last 18 months or so. Um, and apologies if I've missed any presidents out there who are from an ethnic minority. If, if, if you are, please get in touch and I'll apologise directly to you. But I just thought it would be amazing, absolutely amazing for us to hear a little bit about how you became the president of McCann. But also before we kind of get to the nuts and bolts of how you do that, just to go back a little bit into your into your story of, of who you are, really, just so people can get a little bit of an idea of who Jonathan is where you've come from and if you're able to share some insights that you think would help our audience you know many juniors listen to this to these podcasts uh, now from across the world so any insights that you can share that would really help them progress within their careers would be absolutely fantastic and even if you could just share things that you wish somebody told you earlier on in, in your career would be really fantastic yeah no definitely I'm, I'm yeah looking forward to it Talking about myself. I'm not very good at talking about myself, but I will try. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll give it a good go. Where do you want to, where do you want to start in your story, Jonathan? Let me start off when, you know, joining McCann Health, what, I think about 16 years ago. Um, you know, and it was, I think my, my start was, you know, pretty low key, to be honest. I sort of came in as a temp, to be honest. Um, yeah, I was just, I was just a temp. So I came to London um, thought the street, living with friends, was looking for jobs, applying for grad schemes, um, had decided to become a math teacher uh, and was going down that route. Uh, and then I just needed to obviously, that didn't start till September. Um, so I basically was just looking for temp jobs and I just got a temp job at McCann Health and it was very much, you know, just being the office administrator. So ordering taxis, ordering stationery, um, trafficking work um, and just, doing that that kind of work and was just sort of I, th- I didn't speak for the first three months everyone laughed at me and I didn't speak at all for the first three months I just come in get my head down do my work and then just leave why, why was that I don't know I, I, I think because my head was I was going to leave in a short period of time 
And I was so used to doing different temps job in London. I was temp, I look, I temped at so many different places. And you sort of come in and just get the job done and then just leave. And and then I just started really enjoying myself. And it, you know, I studied management studies at university. So I'd sort of been part of sort of understanding about the, the theory of marketing and advertising. And then just started really enjoying myself. And I think the people around me at the time, you know. You know, I know you spoke to Brett O'Connor uh, from BCCP or Martin Collins and people like that were just really friendly and really sort of, actually, this is quite good fun. Where are you from, Jonathan? So you said you moved down to London. Where from? Uh, so I'm originally from Stafford, so just uh, within the West Midlands. Because I couldn't quite work out. I couldn't pinpoint your accent. No, so uh, if I go back to the West Midlands now, people say I've lost my accent. <laughs> You've become all posh. Yeah. Yeah. I've poshified. I've come Londonified. They said. Um, so why why did you come down to London? Well, I, I had friends down here, and I always wanted to move to London. So you know, I, I've been travelling. I've sort of was living in Tanzania for a year. Um, sort of finished doing some charity work out there, and just sort of, what's next? And you know, my my sisters had lived in London or were living in London at the time. And I just wanted to live in a the big city, really. Did you have any ambition to say, I want to go and work in advertising or is it literally, you know, I want to go down with the big bright lights are and I just want to have fun? Yeah, it was it was literally that, but the bright lights were and have fun. So I was applying for all sorts of jobs when I came in. I was I applied for the Sainsbury's graduate scheme. I applied for accountancy firms. Like so at the same time, I was just temping around London. How old are you back then, if you don't mind me asking? I was 24. Cool. So you're basically, you're an admin temp at McCann um first three months you're pretty much just coming in doing your job not really having much of a conversation going home then what happens yeah so I remember just sort of starting enjoying myself you know that you're saying really enjoying London life you had lots of friends down here but also just making friends within uh McCann Health and sort of joining them out you know socializing with them going for drinks and and it was actually just in my mind I was like this is a really interesting job and especially working in health a lot of my family have a health background my dad's a doctor my sister's a doctor um you know and and, and being from a, a an Asian background you know there was a pressure on me to always to become a doctor um so it was just a really interesting space and just the the people as well everyone was just so friendly and I was so inquisitive you know and, and this is advice I always give people is just always ask questions so you know I mean I I remember just trafficking artwork around the agency and I was going into Yvonne McAvoy and Brett's room to sort of get them to sign it off uh, from the studio. And I, I remember Brett marking it up and I was like, oh, what, why do you do that for? He goes, because there's a widow. So what's a widow? He <laughs> <laughs> then spent the next 10 minutes telling me what a widow was. And since then, it's always stuck with me when I make PowerPoint presentations, oh, there's a widow. <laughs> so so me asking those questions someone said oh there's a widow and not asking what that means and we use so many acronyms um so that's my sort of first bit of advice is always ask questions you know we come in a world and you're sitting in meetings especially in health in client meetings or even agency meetings when there's you know a three-word acronym or a, a, a you know an abbreviated term it's like what is that so even though your 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 family were were doctors, were some of the was was health still relatively like new or alien to you, or were you quite still familiar with some of the the brands and the, the ads and all those sorts of things? Yeah, I was f- familiar with it because I didn't realise there was a whole uh, industry behind it. Because you know, in, in my in my parents' home, there's always magazines, 
the, you know, the GP, BMJ, um, all the pens was all my school stationery. <laughs> so I had all these drug pens in my school stationery, or pencil cases or rulers, with all my school post-it notes was my school stationery. And, and I even worked at my dad's surgery. And then obviously I just sat there and met meetings. Oh, really? So I had like no idea that all this was a big industry. I just, I just grew up with this. Um, and it was really funny. And I went home after about four or five months. And I think my mum and dad said, oh, what are you doing? Are you going to be a math teacher? And I was um, talking about, uh, actually, I might stay what I'm doing. And obviously that was pretty alien to my, my dad. I didn't really know what that was. Yeah. And the mailer I was just working on <laughs> was actually on my dad's desk. Oh, wow. And I did all the print production. So that's the stage when I was getting more involved in the print side and learning about print and sort of, um, you know, using the magnifying glass to sort of look at, you know, the, the print uh, alignment. And it was just on my dad's desk. Did you ever ask him what he thought about some of that, the work that he did? I, I did try, but he just, he just, he, he, he then went down, he then told me about the science behind the drug, which then became a useful insight for me throughout my career. Yeah, and then I actually, then I, I remember seeing a job advert at McCann Health for something else. I think it was for a planner job. I didn't know what a planner was at the time. And I just spoke to Pete Searle, who was the creative service director, said, um, I really love to join McCann. Um, is there anything we could do? And and Pete was my first boss, and, and I'm still in touch with Pete at the moment. And Pete was really drawn. He was like, I really find that difficult because he, he knew I wanted to be a math teacher. And it would mean so much to the youth in London because that's where Pete's strength and background and some of the initiatives he set up. And he was like, but you know, you're going to give that up to work in, in this industry. So I did. Uh, and then they offered me a job as a um, production administrator, I think, or production assistant at the top of my head. Just before we get on to that, um, it was really interesting. Mean, all of that's interesting. But when you, just when you said that you sat with your dad when these sales reps came in and, and tried to sell him some drugs, what was his impression of these sales reps? Was he always excited to see them? Was he dismissing of them? Did he just want freebies? How, how was it? No, yes, my dad was, uh, he always said to me that they're doing a job. So he always made time to see people. My dad loves talking to people, to be honest. But he was always very respectful because he knew how other doctors treated the sales reps at the time. Um, And it was less about, you know, say, you know, not seeing them. So he'd always, in his lunch hour, uh, give them time uh, to speak and sort of meet them. And it was really interesting, I think, the way my dad learned about new treatments and drugs, he'll do his own research. And it was obviously the day before the internet was really prevalent in, in his life. But he would use that information, but he would do more conversational. So it wasn't, they had the slide presentations, they had the sales aids in front of them. But he would talk about so much more around the conversation. But I knew that was my dad's learning style. So it was really interesting, you know, his approach was, oh, I remember saying to me, Dad, why do you see them? You know, you're really busy. Why do you see them? He goes, well, you know, it is their jobs and you know, I need to be respectful because they're working really hard. Um, so he's, he always made time for them. Did you understand any of it at that age? No, I didn't. No, I was just, I had no <laughs> idea. I was, just like, I, I, I was just happy with the free, the free lunches. Oh, there's some crazy. Oh, they came with lunch, did they? Yeah, they came with lunch. There was, free, there was sandwiches. So I just, I was working as, as a receptionist. Um, I just I took the um, the, the crisps and the sandwiches and sat there quietly. And then I guess you would obviously just taking all the pens back 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 home back to school. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a free pen. I'm just going to take it. 
Okay, so okay, cool. So you ended up going back to McCann then on a, on a full time as a full timer. Yeah, and then just then spent the next two years just really in production, really. Um, and it, for me, that was a really strong grounding. You know, because people who say to me, "Why do you not join client services?" or you know, we, we think you'd be really um, sort of skilled towards that. And, and I think no one knew. I didn't tell I had a degree in my background. I just sort of got my head down and sort of um, worked through things. Um, you know, and I made lots of great friends in those two and a half years. Um, it was a very social um, environment to be part of. Um, and after about two and a half years, I just felt I, I wanted to go then towards the client servicing side. But it was such a great grounding because, you know, I, I knew how the agency worked. I knew how clients worked behind the scenes. You know, I didn't have that pressure of being client facing straight away. And I, and I remember the first client call I had or client call I had to have, I was so nervous. But the first two and a half years of working in production was such a great grounding and you learned so much from people. It was, it was for me really set me up for my future career. Well, it's understanding the mechanics, isn't it? It's like the, you know, how everything gets out of the door. And, And let's be frank, a lot of account people don't have that experience. So it's very hard in the beginning, I imagine for them to really understand, you know, how, how it all works. So yeah, that's really interesting. And it's really cool. Out of interest, were you the only brown person um, in the agency at the time or within your department? No, as I said, Pete Searle um, um, was from an ethnic background. Um, I'm trying to think. Within the agency, we had a, a, an art director as well. Um, I'm trying to think at the time when I joined. Such a long time ago now. But it was always, and this is interesting, I, I, I never saw myself yeah. as different. That makes sense. It was always, you know, I've, I was first of all Jonathan, and then got renamed okay. as JK. <laughs> but I think Brett renamed me as JK as my friends make fun of me, my advertising name, and they they always have a laugh and giggle when I get called JK. Um, <laughs> like, that's so appetizing. It's like leave me alone. <laughs> my name was stuck. It's like clients call me JK, and uh, <laughs> the whole the whole group calls me JK. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that there was there was a few people. Um, it's very different now. It's, it's a real mixed group of people. Um, but it didn't really, because it wasn't really a discussion or people were talking about it. It didn't really stand out. And for me, I was just excited to have a full-time job. And I think the first time I did think about it was actually last last year. Um, obviously, after the horrendous thing that happened to George Floyd, we had a lot of... Um, workshops and working sessions to sort of resume what the impact was you know because you know it really made us a moment to sort of stop and I remember going to the workshops and that was, yeah, that was the first time that I was a person of color in, in an agency group because when we were in the workshops itself and you know I was, I was a senior leader and people were talking about it and like wow you're very senior you're, you're, the, you're, you're the, one of the managers on this on, on this workshop and that was the first time I really took notice. It was really weird. After 15 years, I really didn't take notice till that moment. When, oh, yeah, I am a senior person. Uh, I'm, I'm from a different background. Did things start started to come into your mind at that moment last year when you had these work sessions and you had a moment to reflect? People were looking at you. You, you realised you were the person of colour that people were perhaps looking to for advice or, or an opinion on, on certain things. Did you then start to reflect on your own life and experiences and go, God, actually, maybe that was as a result of me being brown 
or, or, or different. Yeah, no, yeah, you do actually, and you just over. Yeah, no, you think about a situation, you sort of think about a game, and you know, I think for me, when I, I used to play a lot of football when I was young, and I think that's probably when you know I'd probably face more overt racism at football. Um, and I was lucky to play for a team which, you know, I, I was the only brown person on the team, but were very supportive and they all stuck by me when that happened. You know, they, they all went behind me when incidents happened. So they sort of reflected on that, but it was really interesting. I, I reflected about how that made me feel. So it got me so angry. You know, it got me so um, uh, um, sort of frustrated. And at that age, you know, and, and that probably carried on that sort of thinking, that mindset that I became like a, an underdog. Um, you know, and I think, you know, if I look about, you know, in terms of my career, I always had to put myself as the underdog to be successful. When I was up against something, I, I always positioned myself that, that you know, because I, you know, and maybe those, those experience being different, you know, in, in a um, predominantly white town um, when I was growing up, that underdog sort of mindset always had that sort of gave me that extra push and drive. And it's, and it's really interesting now. And I was reflecting it last week. And as you said, now I'm the, you know, McCann health president of the UK, a senior role. Am I, am I still the underdog? Are you? You know, but I don't know. I don't think I am anymore, but it's, it's a real shift of mindset because that's what has helped me be driven when you have any, ups and downs and you learn from it very quickly is is that thing I put in my head as being the underdog to keep pushing me forward so it's a real shift and recently since the job was announced was am I still the underdog in this organization do you feel like you're the underdog no I, I, I don't think I, I don't feel I am but I, and people always say look you, you've you've got potential um you know and, and they've really sort of pointed out in that way that you know you have being successful, you have, you know, you've got some really strong traits. But for me personally, for that personal drive, I've always shifted it that I was in the dark. I'm always up against something. So it's me personally versus versus people saying I'm the underdog. It's me flipping it to become the underdog, which I felt has always driven me. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting dilemma, I guess, because as you're talking, I, I can see that, you know, just from where we are in your story, like you, you're very much, you know, you come from a very academic family, you know, obviously if your, your, your dad's adopted and your, your siblings are also gone down that route, it's, it's a pretty high achievement, you know, uh, place that you've come from. And, you know, even when you said that you've gone from the temping role to production, you've just literally kept your head down and you've worked really hard. And the motivation of being the underdog has eventually got you to the top, so you're the top dog, <laughs> you know, and and I guess it, I guess what I'm hearing now is well, the, un, the 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 motivation of being an underdog has got me where I am. So I've got to, you know, that's just my mo. <laughs> that's what I do to keep my me motivated and keep driving. So if I'm not no longer the underdog, where does that drive come from? So I've just got to keep in my mindset that I'm always the underdog. I might have got that completely wrong, but that's kind of what I heard. Um, yeah, no, and that, and, and I think. Yeah, there is, and that's exactly how it feels at the moment. And it's really interesting, and in, you know, some of the lessons I've learned is being the underdog. You you push yourself too much and too hard sometimes, and I think one of the, 
when we emailed earlier this week and the reflections of that, I think this is one of my key learnings is when I've pushed myself so hard, actually the impact it has on others. When I was first part of my career, did I really understand what that impact meant on others? I was so dogmatic and so sort of single-minded sometimes. And actually, I didn't take into consideration what that meant to people who are working above me or um, working with me. And actually, you know, what it meant to them. And it, I think that was my biggest learning when I think when I became a client service director was actually, you know, it isn't a one-way style of working anymore. You know, we, we, everyone can be successful in so many different ways. And I think I think that's where I think my, one of my big learnings if I had my time back was just really understanding other people and how they their working styles. I was such an I was in such a rush. I probably was not not dismissive, but didn't really take that in consideration. Um, so I think you know if I, had, if I had my time again, it is that really understanding. You know, if you look at teamwork and working together as a team, is it's it's not the same style makes people successful. It's a combination of skills and talent, actually building teams. I think that was the biggest shift in my in my career when I actually just realised that. I just want to go back a little bit in terms of when you said you went from the production side into account services. At this moment, when you you kind of you know all of a sudden got a full time job, you're, you're no longer in this admin freelancer mindset. Um, are you are you now thinking? right, president, I want to be president in, in 10 or 15 years. Was that your mindset? Where, where, what, what were you thinking about moving to account services and, and what was the goal? I don't know. I think I was just, at that stage, I was still thinking about just sort of learning the, the, the sort of tap the skill and the, the, the attributes to be a successful account handler. It was, I wasn't really looking at when I'm going to make um the next BCSD or account manager and um, um, or account director. Um, and I remember having actually the interview. It's really strange. I, I had an interview, not strange, but going from production, I got interviewed by um, um, Alison Squire, Louise Purvis and Hugh Ferrier. And I remember, and no one knew I was going for the interview at the time. So I was in it. I actually dressed smart for once. <laughs> um, I had a shirt on. <laughs> I had a tie on. I think someone bumped into me. I was like, why are you smart for? You're not really smart. Um, it, was, it was one of the hardest interviews I've ever had because you're, you're interviewing with people you know, and they're really sort of probing questions um, to sort of see why you're right for this role. And you, and you believe you're right to be into client services. Um, but I didn't set myself like in two or three years time, four years time, I'm going to be an account manager or this. And I think it's more when you sort of talk to people when you're frustrated after a meeting or frustrated internally is then you go, well, why am I not at that level? And actually, did I need to be that way? I don't think I did because, you know, the biggest thing I always had was just trying to get my head down and work through things and work with people. Um, but it, but I said, going back to being the production person, knowing things, how it worked, it just gave me, you know, the people who were also joining as an account exec at the time, um, who hadn't been in the industry, it was their first job. But it gave me, as you said, an advantage of knowing how things actually work, you know, how things get through the studio. You know, when I need to pull in favours, I knew I was friends with the studio because I made so many cups of tea at the time for them. I knew how to get things done. Um, but all the time it takes for the craft or the time it takes to print something, you know, it wasn't done overnight. 
Let's 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 um, pull this apart a little bit because I think when you are in the production yeah. side of things, it's 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 not formal, right? I mean, you've even expressed it yourself. You know, when you went for the interview, you weren't wearing a shirt, you wearing a tie. It's very sort of straight, and you don't necessarily have the same. I'm not saying account services don't have a vibe; they don't get on with each other. They're not mates, of course they do, but the world that they operate in is very different, isn't it? From from the studio and having that interaction with the creative department, it's almost like the kids of the agency, isn't it? Sort of like that sort of, you know, the grown-ups are the, the account services and everyone else who's just can have a bit of a laugh is over here. What was the, without really sort of thinking about, well, I want to be, an, you know, president or I want to be MD and that's, you know, the, the best way of me to do that is really going into account services. What made you go from that world into that side or was it just, was it just a bit just so random? You just thought, oh, I'll just give it a go and if, it, if they like me, great, I'll do it. If not, no worries. No, I think it was, I don't know, I th- people always talk to me like, I think you make a really good account handler when I was doing production. And I remember, you know, talk, obviously when you're in production, you're working with everyone, aren't you? Which is a nice part of the job. You know, the studio, the creatives, um, to the um, counsellor. And you're, you're in the middle of trying to get things done. So you're always negotiating with people and you make friends that way. And but people go, oh, yeah, I think you make a really good account handler. And I also thought that, but going back when I started, you know, production at the time, there was, I think there was a sort of cap and career progression, you know, it was before we actually really brought in project management, where then there, obviously now there's a sort of career path for project management um, and not just, you know, before it was, it, at the time when I started, I think it was always the true career progression, you had to be in accounts. And, and that sort of, sort of mindset was like, I do eventually have to move to accounts to progress in my career, which is probably very different now when, you know, if you think about project management coming into the organisation, uh, into the industry, there is, it, it then plays to people's different strengths. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's cool. I just wanted to dig into that because it's just, yeah. It's yeah. Really, I've never heard of anyone, I'm sure there are loads of people out there who've made the jump, but I, I've never heard of anyone who's made that transition but yeah, it's great. <laughs> Obviously, it's, it's worked out well. What did you start off as an account exec or account manager? Yeah, account exec. So yeah, so I, I think at the time I was like a, a production manager, uh, and then I, I sort of went to be an account exec. Um, you know, and people asked me, "Why don't you go from? Why don't you ask to be an account manager?" And actually, you know, I had time on my side. You know, I was like, actually, I'm still learning, and I'm still it's, an, it's another role. So it, so I went in as an account executive. I've always used the analogy. Um, Actually, before I get to the analogy, whenever I, when I was working in agencies and I was doing inductions for the, you know, people coming into the agency for the first time, regardless of what what role they went into. But when it was specific to client services, I said to them, you've got the toughest job (laughs) in the agency because if there is, if there is a punch bag, this is it. You get it from all sides. When things don't go right, you know, you get it from the creatives, you get it from production, you get it from the client, you get it from, you get it from all sides. And and I, I just, I've always wondered and marveled that the people that have stuck with it, you know, like yourselves, who sort of built a career out of it and been very successful, there are equally many people who don't make it, you know, who just think, well, life's too short for this. Do you know what I mean? Like, I go home, my kids moan at me, <laughs> my, my, my partner moans at me, and I go to work and everyone's moaning at me, and, you know, enough's enough. And, and I think is even, you know, maybe we could probably both sort of agree that maybe, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, it was a sort of mindset of just, you just 
sort of keep your head down, be quiet and do it. Mm. You know, it's the strong, silent type, right? And today it's a very different world, isn't it? Where, you know, I guess, and, and rightfully so, there's more, you know, there's more, there's more of a spotlight on people's mental health. Yeah. Um, obviously the pandemic sort of thrown in, you know, different, different sort of <laughs> scenarios where it makes life even tougher for people how do you how do you cope with being that punch bag and is it right to cope with it and what 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 could you advise somebody listening to this right now who's done it for two or three years and they're just there going I don't know if I can do this Mm. I I don't think it is right to be a punch bag because you like you say when you go home the last thing you want to feel like is shit so, it, 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 you know, and it was a tough role. You know, it is a very tough role. Um, you know, like you say, you're, you're still the punch bag. So I think for me, it's always, there's always a reason behind the decision. I think my advice is, you know, everyone's passionate about what they're doing. They want to do the best piece of work. But for me, it's it's giving the right information to enable people to understand why certain decisions were made. Because ultimately, you know, we're working in a, a the client and organization you know when the owners of this ultimate product is the clients and decisions are completely out of your control and and it's just giving that right information but also it's about picking your battles and i, I remember you know one stage in my career it was we just we, we went we tried to win everything if you try to win everything there's more losses and successes and the feeling of losing all the time when you when you end that mindset is so tough. So for my advice is is how do you pick your battles? You know what are the things you know when you have those conversations with the teams and look is it worth put so much effort into win this bat win this particular battle internally externally or this particular point or you know do we how do we negotiate? And I think that's the biggest shift in, in terms of where it was before where you always had that mindset we've got to fight for everything. And it is difficult sometimes. Is that, are, you, are you compromising your values or what we're trying to stand for in this in this creative product or strategic product? But is that is is, is understanding how to pick your battles, but and giving the right information so people understand why certain decisions are made. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's I think that's simple and great advice. It's just you know, tell the story. Yeah. Uh, marketing is simple. That's what I always say to myself. It's like marketing is simple. You know, the whole point of why people, you know, health is challenging is the complexity and nature of the treatments we work on and the drugs we work on. But our role as marketeers is to create that simple story. No one's got time to read anything anymore. So this is why I always go back to marketing is simple. It is straightforward. When you do a creative idea, you know, the beauty for me is always in the storytelling aspect. Now, I love the craft of it, but if the story is not there and you can't articulate the story behind it, then is that really a strong creative idea for me? So, and that's the art of storytelling, but it's got to be simple storytelling. I, 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 I'm really, and I probably oversimplify things in, in my job and people may get frustrated because I go, let me simplify even further and further because that's how my, my brain works because I can't manage the complexity sometimes. If I don't understand it, I'll just keep on breaking it down so it's really simple. It may be too simple, but that's how I, how, how I process it. That's great. I think that's really great advice, actually, because I think you're right. I think we do overcomplicate everything way too much. And fair enough, you know, life's not black and white. <laughs> we operate in very various shades of grey. But but actually sometimes, you know, keeping it simple just makes uh, 
direction easier, doesn't it? Mm. I guess you're very much now in 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 the world of account services. At what moment in your career path are you thinking I'm going to be MD? That's it. That's my goal or president? Because you know, at this point, we're kind of well. I'll give it a go. Somebody said I was good at account servicing. I'll do it. I keep my head down. Yeah. You know, I'm going to get more money as as the years go on. As life gets goes on you get more responsibilities you want to drive bigger cars and you get married or whatever so at, at what point did you think that's that's mine I, that's what i want to do i think it was it's funny it's funny there's when people say something to me I'm, i remember leaving the office and i was um i was walking past christian dawson um and he was just talking to me i was on the way out and he goes um and he just said oh do you not see yourself being md one day and I think I was, um, um, I think I can't manage at the time. And it hadn't crossed my mind at all. But when, you know, when someone, you know, who you respect and sort of have worked with sort of puts that in your mind, you think, if they think I can do it, why can't I do it? And I think, and it's similar to being like the, the president of the UK. And I remember talking to um, our global chief operating officer, uh, Linda, and she was talking about my career and she was like, oh, this is where we see you going. And I never thought that way. Now, I always see it as a job, next job, job. And I think they're sort of the key points when I go, actually, I, when others say they think I can do things or have the belief in me, then that sort of puts that in my mindset. Well, actually, I could achieve that. So that's how I've always, it's really weird for me. I haven't, and then you go, okay, if this person believes I can do it, why, why can't I do this? I think it's fascinating, though, because, you know, you, you sort of make assumptions about people when they get to a particular place, mm. right? You just assume, you know, well, they probably set out from the moment they were born to want to do that and they were just completely driven. And what you're saying is really excellent and brilliant for a lot of people out there, because I believe a lot of people fall into, you know, this industry by accident and they don't necessarily ever dreamt of coming into it and they don't really know what to do when they're there it's like well i you know not thinking about being md i'm just thinking about you know dinner and, and you know i just kind of you know i kind of want this title on my email in the next 12 months mm. you know and, and 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 but for you to sort of just say what you've said is really I think we'll reflect with many, many, many people, probably a majority of people. But the story that I'm getting from this is that if somebody believes in you and they can and they can sort of, you know, give you that as a gift. Yeah. Because hope is a gift. I don't mean to sound cheesy, but hope is 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 the biggest gift you can give people in any scenario, in any company. And the fact that somebody or people with it above you or working with you are kind of telling you that you can do this or giving you that is and that's sort of sparking something in you is really is a wonderful story for people who are looking after you know who are line managing people who are looking after people below them because it, yeah I mean if it sort of sparks something in you then clearly it it's an important thing that everyone needs to go through yeah no I definitely think that, 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 I'm, that I always say I'm only, I'm only successful for the talent who who work in the agency you know like for my the client service team I used to run, um, the project teams I used to run, you know, it's a team effort. It's not individual people. So without having that sort of belief and confidence in that sort of, and letting people know, you know, I think people forget how important it is to say that person did an amazing job. You know, it just 
small things, you don't realise what the impact they can have on people's careers or even people's days. When they're having a real terrible day and just that acknowledgement going, I thought you were really good in that meeting. I thought actually what you just did then really made great sense. And you forget that, especially now when we're in this sort of COVID world where it's a mixture of, you know, right now completely Teams calls, Zoom calls. You forget that sort of, that acknowledgement and that sort of pat on the back of someone doing a great job is so hard to do now because you're not in that in the office going, actually, I thought it was really good. Well done. And people can see it. That's good. That's going to be the key thing we come out of this. And when we go to different working practices, it is that current encouragement um, of different people. And it means so much to people. You know, when I, you know, the other week I ran a pitch and people very senior to me were going, great leadership from you. And it, it meant a hell of a lot to me still. You know, and I think we we sometimes were so busy, we, we not, we forget to do it. We just haven't got the time to think that way at the moment. Uh, and I think that's a key thing in terms of, for me, for leadership, which I learned was the impact of on my career that's had, but also the impact that could have on others. Yeah, I think it's, yeah. I mean, it, I was having this conversation the other day with somebody about, um, how, you know, how, how does an agency build culture? Because, mm. you know, let's be frank, every every agency more or less has the same scripts. Yeah. If you're looking for a job, they all more or less say the same thing right it's about the people it's about the work we do drinks on a friday you know whatever you know duvet days whatever and and actually in truth culture only really sort of is felt in when things are bad i think yeah. you know like you know that's that's when you see the the true face of an agency if you you know if you're going through maybe a death in the family rather than the, the, you know the agency getting the rule book out and going well you know when you give you two days compassionately it's kind of up to you now <laughs> or, or or you're working agencies that are just you know they'll just look at the individual and they'll treat them as 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 they would want to be treated themselves or or like you say when you know somebody's worked really hard and you just say well done thank you or you just throw them a hundred quid and go go and enjoy the day off and have some lunch or, or whatever do you know what i mean yeah. that's when culture is is sort of really felt and is 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 real i guess and what you're saying is really sort of hitting home to that i think yeah and that's really driven you know that ethos of me at mccann health you know people always go how can you never left after 16 years and, and you know and they, they have matched my sort of personal um my professional ambition and my I mean, now my personal ambition as well and but i think that's driven me from down from the top and you know our global ceo john cahill is so personable you know i remember he knew my name when i was an account manager and he used to come to the office you know he he that's sort of really critical for me in leadership is not that sort of that humility as a leader. And I think sometimes that can go missing when everyone's under pressure, but, you know, I think that's really driven down from the, the top for me, you know, you know, when the things when I haven't been as humble as I should have been, or I've sort of approached a situation where, you know, I've reacted the wrong way, but having, you know, someone like John Cahill and, uh, Matt Eastwood and Hillary and there's so many people around us who who are so personal with people that they do know the agency people they go around and when we're in the office before they would know you know they would stop and talk by you know whoever and know their names this makes a huge difference and I think that's what you know you know people ask me why I've never left McCann Health and you know people have different experiences in McCann Health you know some good some bad and you know that's how they felt it but for me 
I've always had that open door to so many amazing people and smart people to, to go back to that inquisitive nature I have is asking questions. Um, and I think that's why, you know, having that humility for me, like you say, when things do go wrong and, you know, it gets very stressful and it impacts or there's, there's a personal challenge in someone's life is enabling you to show the true culture is something which I think we've been able to do more so over the last few years. Yeah. Well, I think that's, it's, it's a, it's a great perspective because let's be frank, you know, all networks, you know, they, they come with scale and sometimes, you know, when you're working in, in a big corporate environment, you can feel like just a number. Right. And, you know, I think the fact that if the CEO can sort of, you know, remember your name as a junior when he's sort of flying in from wherever, Mm. you know, for a couple of days or so is, is really great. And I think it's a great lesson for, for anyone out there actually like you know humility goes a long way you know i think gone are the days of the sort of 80s and the sort of 90s and this these sort of like ego trips of, of people with with you know super long titles overinflated egos because i don't think many people will kind of tolerate that anymore i think mm. that the amount of talent in the industry is is small and it, there's probably not enough talent to sort of go around so yeah agencies that can build a, a warm and a humble culture you know they're the ones that are gonna sort of win this race of talent at the end of the day mm. okay let's jump back to your <laughs> your career your journey so you're in a, you're in account services how long did it take you to get to md um i think it i think and so it came md two and a half years ago what's that i can't do my maths tell I, I did a maths degree as well and i'm trying to work out three <laughs> <laughs> <In the> years <laughs> I think about 2007 so it probably took me what just 11 11 12 years to get to md oh oh wow um so it was you know i sometimes look back i some of the things i was leading and involved in did i have sometimes the capabilities or the experience and i sort of about oh actually i would have handled that situation completely different um but it was, it was interesting during that time and i think i got myself known as the the soup who could get things done so the accounts i were were working on was how do i get things done from a to b and get things delivered um you know i remember missing out on all the pitches you know i was never i was never asked to do any pitches for so many years oh but your accounts are running really well so we don't want to take you off that or when there was an issue on account i'll just sort of be put in for a few months to sort of support them um and i was always known as that soup and I sort of go back to that sort of underdog spirit. I was like, I can't just be known as that suit. <laughs> Stop. And I remember um, Phil Bartlett was um, MD at the time and Adrian was our creative director. He goes, oh, you're not really like the creative suit. You know, you won't really win anything creative because you know, that's not what you, you're there for. And it was really interesting. And, and, you know, I took that moment as another way to prove myself that I could be seen as a different type of suit. And for me, it's like, I'm always constantly learning and evolving as a, as a person because that was a challenge which was set me. Um, and then I sort of put my mind to it and sort of worked on Urbitux. Um, and we went through a, a really strong team on Urbitux at the time. It was um, Andy Gardner was the, the lead planner. Uh, we had Graham Garden, Guy Buckland um, as the creatives and, and Francesco as the, the account team on it for me. And you know, we set our plan because at the time it was using the bridges as a concept and it was a monoclonal antibody to show that and it was a launch campaign 
and there wasn't a huge amount of emotion to it. So we sat on a journey to, you know, I sat on a personal journey to be known as a creative suit and, and, to, and people go, oh, how did you do that? It took me 18 months for them to buy a different types of creative idea. You know, it was working very closely with uh, Bruno, the lead client, and his team, Nikolai, uh, Tracy, who was the uh, business intelligence person, to sort of how do we get the right level of information to shift the organization to think differently about creativity? Uh, and that, I remember, I remember, I remember flying out because the first, it was my first day with my wife the night before. And then I had to fly out at five o'clock in the morning to sort of pitch this, the cost of this idea, which was more than I ever spent before. And I've never been so nervous. Um, but it was an 18 month journey. And that's where it led to winning, you know, a Can Lion, or a, a Clio uh, in the US. And, um, but, and then that's where I wasn't known as a creative suit. But by doing that, it, it, I was able to evolve as a character and, and that storytelling aspect. How do I take people on this journey, both on the client side and internally? Because no one was, no one thought this could, no one thought we could achieve that level of creativity on this account. Well, I mean, I've seen that work, and I've also worked on Herbitux, and yeah, I, I, God knows how you got that out. Because <laughs> I, I mean, M- Merck it is Merck, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah they are. I mean tough from a creative perspective very very tough to get anything creative out so yeah i think it was quite incredible i think what was really brilliant actually you might not have realized what you've just said maybe maybe you do but the fact that you sort of transitioned from you know getting stuff done obviously you've had the production background and so maybe i'm sure that sort of helps sort of work out stuff in your mind of how as you say get things done from a to be but then making that transition in into well actually you know we can get something really fantastically creative out here and being really nervous mm. and and i think there's a, there's a, there was something really interesting in that because i think fear can play a massive impact within people's roles certainly on a on account services perspective where you know it's like well we're not quite sure that the client's going to buy that and it's like well let's not bother then mm. you know there is there is always that kind of not always but there, there can it, it can be easily uh you can easily go down that route of like well we're going to push that back because well we might show it but we know we'll show it at the end of a meeting <laughs> you know we'll we'll show it at the end yeah. and, and we'll give it you know two three minutes just to shut the creatives up and you know we'll, we'll just let it go away but the fact that you got up at five in the morning you flew there you were super nervous and you were prepared to do that I think is a is a great story for anyone out there because it's okay to be afraid it's okay to fail it's okay to do that as long as you believe in what you're going there with and you know that in the end if you do manage to get it past the line that the difference it will make to the clients to the teams to the to the patients is 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 more than worth it that's what i got from that yeah no story and it is and, it, and i think for me my advice is it didn't happen overnight you know and i think it took like say 18 months to start the conversation to people to think differently um, you know, we did have some ups and downs and trying to get the idea through or different types of thinking. But I think sometimes when we see it, the expectation in today's world is like, it's going to happen tomorrow. But taking clients on the journey is really key because, you know, they've got their own challenges and pressures and commitments to the, to the markets when we do global work and we're getting out to set deadlines. So it's that storytelling aspect. <laughs> I was just remembered now, actually, I actually had the creative boards 
for one meeting and I was out for dinner. So I had that dangerous thing when I was like, I had the creative board and we're flying out the next morning and they're with me and I actually left them in a restaurant. <laughs> so I had to run back up where I left them, where I left them. And so I think, though, I look back now, I didn't tell anyone. I, this, I think it's the first time I've actually admitted this story. I actually left some of the creative boards for this campaign in, in one of the restaurants. I think it was even the, the photo shoot um, uh, boards. But I look back now, I think those things do happen. Like, we're all people. Um, and, I, you know, if I'd lost them and then gone to the meeting, I'm, I'm going to in so much trouble the next day. But I didn't. And I have to think clearly how to solve that issue. But for me, it's that is things are always going to happen. But I think the importance, especially client services now, is there's that need, to, the pressure to win awards, the pressure to do great creativity all around us. But it's all really important. It's all really, it's really key that you also take your clients on the journey as well. Um, and there is a time, like Shahid, you, you know, as you mentioned just a minute ago, there has been times when I've done creative and I've gone in before to client meeting. Yeah, there's one random idea in here. Can you just nod your head <laughs> and just, just correct, correct the really want to present it? And I've told the client, I've given, and I've, 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 I've given the client heads up, just FYI, there is one random in this one. Uh, just do me a favor. Can you just acknowledge it for me? And then give some rationale why we can't move forward. So I've done things like that. So then we pick future battles, to be honest. I shouldn't should tell people that, but I have. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to tell people out there. But I have done that. Sorry. We, we get the truth in the end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that, I mean, you know, it, it's, um, I think it's great. I think I, I, I massively appreciate uh, the honesty and hopefully anyone listening to this will too. Out, just sort of randomly, how did your family react to this journey? Like, did they just still, did they think it was a real job? You know, did they really understand what you did? What, what did they think? Um, like my mum saw, no, didn't know the job I did, but she saw how hard I was working. Um, you know, so she sort of, okay, he's going to make a career in this. Uh, but for my dad, it was it was very difficult for him. You know, from his generation, you know, the, you know, there was four or five jobs, you know, being a doctor, being an engineer, being a teacher. Um, so for him, you know, he did struggle, you know, and we, and, you know, we did just have tough conversations because, you know, the question to him is, what are you doing with your, your life and your career? Um, and it was some tough times. And I think that's, you know, probably did spill into my working life that I had to prove him wrong as well. And he, you know, it wasn't to meet his expectations. He just didn't know about the different careers because that's not his generation. You know, when, you know, he qualified as a doctor, I come up 40 years ago. So there wasn't that many jobs around at the time. Um, so that was, you know, that was quite difficult. And I think the funniest time, and you'll, you'll resonate with this, Shade, was the moment my dad was happy with the, the job I was doing, even though I didn't know what I did, was the moment when his friends said, oh, I heard that your son your son works for McCann. Um, my son wants to get involved there. Can he speak to him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's my dad goes, what? what? What are you talking about? And then I get this phone call. My dad goes, yes, yeah, so my friend here, his son wants to get involved. And I told him what you did, and I, I explained your job title, and then he wants to talk to you. Can you help him out? And it was in that moment, I think my dad then relaxed. He's like, yeah. <laughs> But it's, it's so funny. It look at advertising terms. He got peer endorsement from a fellow doctor yeah. about his son doing it, and actually he saw the role I was doing. He was he then finally sort of acknowledged it, and he now you know he's 
you know, when, when the announcement was made, you know, my, my daddy started using text messages a few, few years ago. Uh, he sent me a lovely text congratulating me. So, uh, and I think, you know, for him, it was more his mindset that, you know, there's only set, set careers. Uh, but over the years, he's sort of understood what I do. And, you know, um, so and having that, you know, and then all my my mum was really proud and sent the article to all my fam- family relatives. And I was getting loads of texts and messages from my family. And I was, you know, they probably don't know what I do still. <laughs> but it was lovely to see it. I was like, wow. It's an interesting point isn't it i mean within within the world of ethnic families and i just reflect on my own like we it's just advertising and communications isn't really a, a well-known job you know it's just not um and so yeah i think i think there's 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 maybe a lesson there for for more people like yourselves to just you know spread the word <laughs> a bit more and and you know you can do now that you're in a position you can do that yeah and think about our, our, our sort of space we focus on is health. You have a lot of people with, with strong science backgrounds, from um, ethnic backgrounds. You know, you think the career then is research or, I don't know, you know, scientific-based careers. And, you know, and it isn't, you know, health communications, health marketing, is, is, it's got so many scientists and great scientists working in the business. Um, but it is different. People don't understand what these careers are sometimes. And it's, it, it is important to get this out there and, you know, you can grow some strong careers, you can... Um, do different things but but is it a fault of our backgrounds I don't think it is it's just the knowledge because it's so different it's completely like you say communications marketing you know wasn't a common career for our parents generation um, so you know it is interesting to see and you know and as I said this is why I thought you know it's important to use my role and sort of things you know I didn't realise when you know when one of our proofreaders joined. She used to be a teacher, and she said it was really nice when I was teaching. There was lots of Asian teachers, but all the management was white. So it was so nice coming into the agency when we were in the office, seeing the MD was from an Asian background. And I, at the time, I didn't really acknowledge it. Um, I was like, actually, you don't realise what that means. And, I, and when we're doing the sort of workshops last year. Um, when you have someone in the senior position who looks like you, it's so powerful. People underestimate that because you go through the similar career challenges or the similar challenges in life and you go, actually, that person's been through it so more. And I think that's where I probably underestimated, especially through the conversations last year, is when that what that means to others from a similar background. Yeah, I, to- I totally, totally get that. And agree. I mean, it's, it's interesting because you even earlier on um, in the podcast, you know, you're saying, well, I, you know, you never really had grand ambitions to be president or MD back in the day. And you just kept your head down and just worked. And I don't know, again, hindsight's twenty twenty vision. But the fact that perhaps you didn't see somebody like yourself in those positions at the time maybe influenced that mindset because it's I've certainly you know had that within my own life it's you don't see somebody like yourself even in on a board or even in management or any you know in that creative leadership you know position you just kind of think well I'll just do what I do and get on with it Mm -hmm. you know because it's not that that those roles are not for people like me and I've just heard it verbatim from people um when I used to work in in agency world who who were of color 
um, who, who, who literally said, and honestly, I, I'd heard it on, on multiple occasions where people were like, you know, we had different, we had offers on the table from different agencies, but because, you know, you're somebody of color in, in your position, it's just sort of, and they didn't have that. We decided to come here and it does make a massive difference to people. Um, so yeah, I, I, yeah, maybe it took something like George Floyd's, you know, event and discussions to happen for people to like ourselves to just sort of really realize the impact that it can have um so yeah i think it's i think it's really fantastic um <laughs> when when you when you got the role um to be president uh what's the first thing you bought um what's the what's the first thing well i haven't i think no i'm still looking i'm still lo- i basically in lockdown i i, I shifted my trainers so I, I I have, but I've got so many trainers. Basically, I, I basically the good thing about lockdown for me was it just legitimised my sort of um, my my dress sense, which is basically <laughs> jeans, um, which people complain I never wear a belt. So my secret Santa person for many years has been about um, a, a, a grey or blue or black t shirt and a jumper or a hoodie and white trainers. So I'm obsessed with white trainers. Um, so in lockdown, I sort of bought a pair, of my, bought a pair of Air Jordans. Uh, in lockdown, and I was like, "Bet am I too old to wear Jordans anymore?" <laughs> I, I think I had too many drinks, and I just woke up in the morning and found like an email: "You bought a pair of Air Jordans." <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm waiting for the right pair of Air Jordans to go to celebrate. Um, <laughs> my, 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 so not, it's not, it's not a big grandiose present. Um, but the idea, but the problem is I have, I won't just buy one pair of Air Jordans. I'll buy the same pair twice or three times. Yeah. So I've, I've got that. That's what I'm looking forward to finding that right pair of Air Jordans. Bye. <laughs> but the problem is I keep going online and it's like, how much? I'm not paying that. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you're going to have to jo- ask John for an, another pay rise yeah. next year. Uh, for that. But that's lovely because, you know, I think that sort of ties back to you know your whole your whole ethos of, of being humble and having that humility so i think that tied in really well and really nicely and i, I wish you all the best of finding you know the pair of air jordans <laughs> and, and i also wish you all the, the very very best and, and massive congratulations on on the new role and look very much look forward to seeing the next phase of, of the McCann Health journey under your leadership. And yeah, just thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. If you do enjoy listening to these podcasts, please do rate, share and subscribe whenever possible.